Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. This week, I'm talking with Annie, who has a website called Recipe, which is actually a membership for ad-free recipes so that you can enjoy distraction-free cooking that can also be sugar-free. During the pandemic, Annie started cooking more and more because all of a sudden there was more time available to cook. But she found it frustrating and inefficient to cook from food blogs because of all the ads and the pop-ups. So that was the inspiration to create Recipe. My chat with Annie is all about cooking with real foods, which can be a challenge for some of us at first when we cut sugar and flour because it's not always easy to find recipes that don't include these two ingredients. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. And if you're looking for free resources about real whole foods that automatically don't include sugar, then head on over to my website AfterSugarClub.com and click on the tab What to Eat. You'll find three videos there all about real whole foods including fermented foods and drinks. And if you're an intermittent faster then I have five tips for you to help you get rid of cravings that may be getting in the way of you living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. Go to AfterSugarClub.com and download my five tips there. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. And if you've listened to several episodes before and you haven't yet left a review, could I ask you to scroll down please and rate the podcast and leave a lovely review to tell me how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Has it inspired you to reduce sugar? Has it made you think about sugar a little bit differently? Let me know. I love reading your reviews. Thank you. All right, here's my chat with Annie. All right, so today I'm talking with Annie. And Annie, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like before you cut or reduced sugar? Yeah, so I grew up, I was a vegetarian starting when I was 12 until I was probably about 20 years old, but I wasn't focused. I, I was more like a cereal-tarian because I didn't focus on vegetables. I ended up mostly just eating a lot of cereal, a lot of cinnamon toast crunch, you know, so very processed and very sugary cereal and, you know, bread, peanut butter, you know, all, all these types of things that aren't necessarily the healthiest choices, but, you know, my choice was to be a vegetarian and I didn't really know what foods to focus on at that point. Um, and so, you know, it, I, 
my body never felt great. And, you know, my, my mind never felt great at that point. And it took me years of figuring out before I found a sustainable diet that worked. I went through my ketogenic diet phase, which is obviously very, very, very low sugar, minimal, minimal sugar. And, um, and the op- that's kind of the opposite of vegetarianism. Isn't yeah, it? really. It, it focuses a lot on fats and meats. Um, so I did that actually for a few years. And then recently I've shifted away from any specific diet, but I've started being involved in local food systems and, you know, farming and gardening. And so my focus has shifted a lot towards the foods that I can grow and the foods that I can get locally. And that is much more plant-based than cereal and much more plant-based than ketogenic diet, obviously. Um, Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Wisconsin in the United States, which is, we're known for cows and dairy. That's, (laughs) that's like the major you know, things that are produced and that Wisconsin is known for is cheese. Um, but there's a, an amazing local agricultural scene too. And so we, unfortunately, our growing season is relatively short. You know, it's, we, it snowed yesterday. And yep. so we yep. can't and look. We're, we're recording at the end of April. And as I yeah. speak in northern, northern Canada here, it is snowing. Yeah. So we probably have, you're probably in even a colder, colder gardening farming zone than me, but you know, the feeling, you know, you can't move plants outside until the very end of May or until June. And so we have an amazing abundant summer season. And last year was actually a big drought here, which makes it hard for some vegetables, but your tomatoes and your peppers go wild in, you know, less, lesser water conditions and really, really hot weather. Um, so it's just really interesting to see. And I know this summer it's going to be different because we've gotten a lot more, you know, precipitation, water and, you know, rain and snow. And so, you know, we're planting the same plants, but the harvest is going to be so much different in terms of what does really well and what doesn't do so great. Fantastic. And can I ask you, were you brought up with a garden or some sort of, um, sort of agricultural activity in your family? Not not to a huge extent, but my mom, I think was always curious about gardening and she has a little garden herself now. And so she'll send me pictures of the plants she's growing. Um, and I, you know, I have distinct childhood memories of certain plants of things like lavender and nasturtiums. And I remember we tried to grow strawberries and I think, I think slugs, always ate our strawberries, but I remember we would put beer in like pie tins because beer is supposed to deter. I mean, that may not be true. I'm just totally, you know, remembering from childhood. I, I, I remember making these like beer traps as a kid and you're like, it's beer, you know, we're not allowed to have beer because we're eight years old. Um, but it, it, I have these like flashbacks as I'm dealing with different plants as I'm gardening, because it's something I haven't thought about in 20 years, but you know, you, you have a sense memory or you're like, this is really familiar for some reason. And I'm not quite sure why. So, you know, we didn't grow up farming. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up with plants in my life. And I remember specifically learning different things and enjoying it. Right, right. And did, did your decision to be vegetarian come from you as a young adult? Or did it come from your parents when you were a child? 
it was me. And I think it was mostly me being contrary and mm-hmm. rebellious. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I do love animals. And to this day, you know, all, all animals. I love dogs. I grew up with dogs. I love cats. I love pigs. And last summer on, on the farm that I volunteer on, they had a, a bunch of pigs. And so that was amazing. Um, so I, I definitely empathize on the side of obviously not eating meat saves a lot of animal lives. It can reduce your environmental impact, all of that kind of stuff. I don't think that's why I did it. I think I just didn't want to be like everyone else in my family. And so that's why at that point I chose that. Um, And so now as an adult, I'm, I I am not vegetarian. I still eat meat, but I have been, you know, consciously moving towards a more plant-based diet myself, partly because of availability and just because I'm learning more about plants and I'm excited to try plants in different, different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel better on a more plant-based diet? Yeah. I mean, I, my, my body has been feeling good lately and I'm at a place where I'm learning how to be sustainable in all different areas of my life. Previously, I was also, I did, I've competed in several sports. First I did Muay Thai, which is Thai kickboxing, um, competed in that shifted to powerlifting, which is very, very, very heavy weightlifting, basically. Um, And then I shifted to Highland Games throwing, which is like the Scottish festivals and people are like throwing rocks and throwing telephone poles and that kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) But I didn't train in a way that was sustainable to my body. And so now, you know, COVID kind of shut down competitions for a long time. And we're just starting now to see really regular competitions coming back. But that time off from competing gave me time to reassess, you know, what's important in my life. And I've struggled with back injuries and back problems for a long time. And, you know, my training was not sustainable for my personal body and the way I was training was not sustainable. Um, And so just over the last couple of years, I've learned you know, how, how I can exercise and maybe in the future compete. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not specifically pursuing that, but in a way that's friendly to my body. And similarly with my diet and my nutrition, I'm just, I'm feeling it out and I'm learning, you know, what makes my body feel good. If I'm working out, you know, do I need to eat different foods than if I'm just taking a walk? Um, like, what is my body telling me? And I do find it really, really rewarding to eat a lot of plant-based foods, but then also focusing on proteins. And one thing that really surprised me last summer was like how much I craved like dark greens and like arugula. I, this was the first time I ever had really hyper-local and fresh arugula, which is like a little bit peppery and yes. just like a really rich earthy green. Um, and every time I ate a, we, we kind of just got like mixed greens from the farm, different types of lettuces, kales, arugula, spicy greens, like all sorts of different stuff. And every time I would eat it, I'm like, what is that? Like my body is just like screaming. Yes. Like <laughs> if this is whatever is like in this is like, just so my, my mouth wants it and my body wants it. Um, and it's just interesting to be able to listen to 
your body and to, you know, your taste buds, obviously not when you're eating chips, because obviously, yeah, chips are yummy and cereal is yummy. But when you're exploring, you know, different foods, different plant-based foods, different, you know, meat-based foods or different protein levels or protein from soy versus beef, um, being able to listen to your body and see what your body is telling you. Yeah, totally, totally. And you can be totally plant-based and eat highly, highly processed food. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's is, sort of what I was at before. Yeah. And, I mean, sugar is like a perfect example of yes. 100% vegan product. I don't grace it with the name food. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, you know, that means doesn't mean that it's healthy. Yeah. So, uh, and I found also that recently a lot of the vegan products are also, you know, very questionable in their ingredients, all the, the false meats and the beyond whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, try, trying to emulate meat basically, with some, like beyond meat specifically, and a few of those plant-based alternatives to meat. And I, I do enjoy a good veggie burger, but one of the things I enjoy about veggie burgers is that it's different than me. And mm-hmm. so I, I understand there's definitely a market and demand for something that is closely, closely emulating meat. That's very similar in texture, very similar in appearance. But I think part of the fun of eating plant-based type diets and plant-based foods is that it's different and it has different textures. It has different appearances and different nutrients. Um, and I think for me, and obviously it's different for everyone, but for me personally, I prefer sort of the plant-based alternatives that are different whole foods. And you can, you can tell this is a burger made out of black beans, or this is a burger made out of quinoa versus this is a bunch of stuff put in a blender and you add in some coloring so that it looks like meat. And then, you know, wow, I'm almost eating meat. Right. Um, but the differences in like the textures and, you know, just all of the senses, the smell of something that is, you know, closer to whole foods put into a shape to not be mistaken for me, but to take the place in terms of hardiness or in terms of providing protein. To me, it's a whole lot more interesting when it's the whole foods in those forms. Right, right. And that brings us to the whole question of what is food? Right. Because we we are talking about whole foods, which is something, you know, it makes me smile because it's we shouldn't have to actually specify that these that food is whole foods. But these days we do have to specify it because I find that as consumers, especially in North America and and really in in Europe Mm -hmm. as well, um, we've sort of lost the we don't really know what real food is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cooking at home, obviously it takes some time. Obviously it can be more complicated. You know, you're not taking it from a box and putting it on your plate. You have to think of what ingredients will I need to make this? You have to think of, you know, how long will this take? What are the processes to make this? But it can be really helpful to build your cooking, like focus on building skills in the kitchen. Um, And then focusing on ways you can make that time more fun and more enjoyable, because if it's a chore that you have to do and you hate it, you know, I hate folding laundry. That's a chore to me. It's something that I avoid and I have a huge pile of clean clothes, you know, ready (laughs) to be folded and put away. Um, 
And so if you approach cooking as it's a chore that I have to get done because it gives me the food I need, you know, sometimes your head just goes there and it, it is a chore. Um, but I, I try to focus on doing things that make cooking more enjoyable because then in, you know, in your life, you're more likely to cook and you're going to end up with the whole foods on your plate rather than, you know, well, darn, I have to cook today. I really don't want to, I don't have the time. And so you end up on DoorDash ordering something from a restaurant instead. Um, So finding ways to enjoy cooking is really important. And, And what ways have you found to enjoy cooking? So, you know, there's easy, easy, small tweaks, like listening to music while you cook. You know, my, my husband just set up an Alexa device, whatever, whatever the Amazon device is called in our kitchen. And one thing I love about it is you can say, you know, set a timer for seven minutes and it, you don't have to deal with like, I I normally do it on my phone or on my microwave. And so that makes it easier and less frustrating. So that's just like, any little thing you can do to reduce the stress or to reduce the frustration or complication. Um, And then just being able to say, Hey, play this song that I love. And, you know, now I'm not just doing a chore. I'm listening to music too. And I get the happy feelings that you get from listening to your favorite song, Um, learning new skills, trying new recipes. And I'm actually working on a startup company right now, um, and our, our, that's kind of our goal is to make cooking simpler and more enjoyable because most often when you're looking for a new recipe, you're going to go online and you're going to Google it and you're going to get to a food blog. And it, there, it's a really frustrating experience because there's ads and pop-ups and you know it, you can't get to the part of the recipe you need. And so what we're doing is we're trying to simplify that and create an ad-free platform that still supports creators, the humans behind it but that makes it easier when you're actually cooking. So you're not dealing with the little frustrations that add up and add up and add up. And then you're like, well, this is something I don't want to do. So simplifying the process in in any of the little things that just bother you, that frustrate you, building your skills so you're more confident, listening to music. If you, I mean, if you are a wine drinker or whatever your favorite drink is, for me, it's just sparkling water. I... (laughs) plain sparkling water or, you know, the sparkling waters with essences or a slice of lemon or a slice of wine, you know, the little things that make it an enjoyable time really add up. Like you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine how much it adds up and makes it more, more fun. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And for me, cooking has become a creative outlet. Yes. You know, and a way to express my creativity. And I don't mean, you know, I'm the Picasso of the kitchen, but it's just a little bit of, I'm not very good at following recipes because I feel that sometimes I don't get to express my creativity. I am exactly (laughs) the same way in the recipe is the starting point and it is never, ever, ever the end point. Um, And I guess it's kind of ironic, you know, that I'm running a company around recipes because I will look up the recipe. I'll skim the, I'll say, okay, this ingredient, that ingredient, that makes sense. Okay. What's the method we're going to, you know, grill this and marinate that. But then I'm like, but what if I added this? Because I already have this at home. Or what if I, you know, do this for longer or, you know, I like this and, you know, I like a smoother consistency. So I'm going to blend it for much longer. And I think the ability to explore and be playful with food 
comes a lot from confidence because if you don't have any skills and eat, I mean, skill or note, like you're more likely to cook regularly if you're confident, regardless of whether you're actually good at cooking, the confidence is the key there. And so, you know, if you find yourself hesitant to try new things, to, to be playful, to experiment, to swap out an ingredient, that might be a sign that, you know, you might want to focus on your skills and build skills so that you feel more confident. Um, and there are tons of free ways you can build cooking skills. You don't have to pay, you know, money to go to a fancy culinary school. There's endless cooking tutorials on YouTube you can go to. Um, there are platforms like Masterclass, which is like online classes that you can take. And it costs like $50 a month or something, but it's not tuition to culinary school. Um, and then what I found really interesting is during COVID, tourist companies and tourists, tour guides and those types of roles and jobs almost disappeared for a while because tourism dropped so much. And so to replace some of that income, a lot of tour guides started doing online cooking classes, you know, or online cultural classes, you know, online guides to their area. But I found that a lot of them started doing online cooking classes and that's awesome. You can usually get them affordably, join a class for $20 or something. And, you know, you're, you're on a group video call with someone all the way across the world, cooking something from their culture and teaching you about the different ingredients that they use. So that's a really, really cool way that I found that you, you know, you can build skills, you can support a small business and, learn how to use ingredients maybe that you have access to, but you've never known how to use before. I just want to take a quick break to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Medicine with Heart, which is an international functional medicine clinic specializing in difficult chronic cases of hormone imbalance, Lyme disease, mold illness, and digestive dysfunction. You can sign up for a consultation with their team to see if they can help reverse your disease. Find out more about them at medicinewithheart.com. Yes, yes, because I think a lot of people, whether they're in the States or Canada or Europe or wherever, Australia, uh, may not have ever learned how to cook. And it's yeah. like this convenience culture that we're in is just throw something in the microwave yeah. and and that skill of cooking that I know my grandmother had both my grandmothers and and that my mom probably would have liked to have had had mm -hmm. she not been working full-time which my grandmothers yeah. didn't do that's the thing it's that we made great strides socially in getting the yeah. women out of the kitchen and it sort of backfired to a certain degree where we don't know that skill of cooking anymore and we see it as a chore or something negative yeah. and you just your inclination is to stick to what you're familiar with so for some people that's not cooking you know that's using ingredients from boxes more than fresh ingredients but even for me you know i grew up in california which is a huge agricultural state and so i always you know there's always fresh vegetables in the grocery store a wide variety year round you know relatively locally, either from California or even Mexico, which is, you know, bordering California. So it's not that far away. Um, but moving to, to mid the Midwest to Wisconsin, 
um, and starting to work on a farm, there are vegetables that I have never eaten before um, at kohlrabi, you know, like you, yeah. what the heck is kohlrabi? <laughs> you know, there, and even just like arugula where I've seen it in the store, I've had it, but it's never stood out in my mind until you try it farmed fresh and locally. Yeah. Um, the, it's just so much, so much better when you do, you know, when, if you're able to access that type of vegetable locally, and that's where like different cultural foods from a, around the world is really cool because the, the first recipe, including kohlrabi that I've ever seen was an Indian cookbook. And to this day, I haven't seen a kohlrabi, you know, American kohlrabi recipes. Like there, I, I don't know of any American, traditional American dishes that use kohlrabi. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, like broadening your horizons and looking at how other other areas of the world, other cultures prepare foods that you're not necessarily familiar with. Well, now I get a kohlrabi and I'm like, you know, I know how to prepare this. I'm confident in it, whether or not I'm following a recipe or I'm like, you know, I'm going to add some cumin, I'm going to add, you know, this and that. Um, I, I don't get it. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with it. So it's going to sit in my fridge until it's going bad. Right. Um, Another really interesting thing that I'm excited for this year is my husband bought me a cookbook that is like a Lebanese food preservation cookbook. Mm. And I'm very interested in the idea of food preservation and doing it from home. Because again, you know, you can buy a can of food, food at the grocery store, but if you can you know exactly what ingredients you're putting into a glass jar and you're heat sealing it so that you know that it will last until the winter. There's something really special about that to me in like, I am self-sustaining. I know exactly what I'm eating and I can support myself even in the winter from food that I've grown myself or food that I've gotten from a local farm. So I'm really excited to try food preservation yeah. out for myself and there's different ways of preserving food for myself so, i use lacto fermentation and mm-hmm. make you know my kimchi and my salad yeah. and and that in itself for me was completely unknown yeah and it's intimidating and with canning you know you have to do it right and it, it can feel scary because you're like am i going to give myself botulism by doing it wrong and not sterilizing things correctly or not sealing things correctly or not bringing it to the correct temperature. Um, And so again, going back to education, that's learning skills, building skills and feeling confident is huge. Yes. Yeah. And I can say as a teacher, you know, anything that's new that we're learning from a low level or from zero Mm -hmm. is going to be scary. And, you know, we, whatever it is and however much experience we have in other fields let's say yeah no pun intended for, uh, but however much experience we may have elsewhere if we're learning something new we're going to feel insecure yeah and there's a learning curve so you'll go through that you'll go through who am I to be doing who am I to be doing food preservation or who am I to like I'm not a chef why am I trying to learn this or that technique but then you break through and you're like, you know what, I can do this. I've done it before. And you can do it more casually where now I don't need step-by-step instruction from a professional. I can just skim a recipe and say, I'm confident in making this. 
And again, simplifying and making cooking easier is the way to get into a sustainable habit of doing it. Absolutely, absolutely. And the irony is for um, preserving food is that we're so unfamiliar with doing it ourselves that we have now left it up to the food industry to preserve our food for us with tons of sugar, as an example, (laughs) you know? And so it's like what we don't know how to do we necessarily have to leave up to someone else to do. Yeah. In this case, the big food and the food companies, and pay the price quite literally. Yeah, with and our it's, health. It's just so interesting the difference in the quality. Like if you, I, I just recently, you know, we had an overabundant tomato season last summer, and quick way to preserve tomatoes is freeze them. So, you know, we have way too many, throw it in a box, throw it in the freezer, don't even worry about it for six months. And so just a few weeks ago, I went back and, you know, on the farm, we have basically a commercial kitchen. And so we took those frozen tomatoes and turned it into tomato sauce, like for, you know, Italian food, spaghetti type sauce or pizza sauce, or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to use it for. And, you know, we used basil that we had also grown on the farm and dehydrated and onions and garlic that we had bought locally and you can it and for tomatoes it's usually best to use a pressure canner which is specialized equipment that not everyone has access to and for me pressure canning is super intimidating again because it's not something I'm familiar with and canning tomatoes if you do it wrong there are serious consequences But, you know, I had the guidance of these local people who have been doing it for 20, for 30 years. And then you actually eat the food that you, you you know, you can it. And a couple of weeks later you eat it and you're like, why did I ever buy it in a jar? I I have now like a dozen, you know, big, big jars of, of sauce that'll last me months and months. And it's just so much better than you know the name brand you buy at the store and you you know what the ingredients are your taste buds are like I'm having tomatoes I'm having basil I'm having garlic I'm having onions and it's it's really nutrients aside all of that stuff aside health is it just tastes so much better yeah yeah and much more enjoyable yeah as you eat it and I think some of us probably never never even experienced yeah. eating of those types of tastes and so yeah. we can't compare because we've never been able to compare yeah and even if you don't have access to a pressure canner you're not confident in canning like farmers markets or whatever local agricultural scene you have nearby you you know you can often buy canned foods at the farmers market that they canned on their facility in their facilities from the ingredients that they grew months ago. And maybe they either canned them immediately and now they're selling it or they froze it and then they canned it recently. Um, But farmers markets or, you know, local co-op grocery stores are great place. If you don't want to can yourself or you don't have access to that, that quantity of ingredients, or it's too much pain to do, they, they will normally have preserved foods, jarred sauces that they made, you know, locally sourced ingredients for different sauces and salad dressings. And so again, if you're looking for sort of the whole foods, less processed, no added sugars, your farmer's market is a great place to go. And even if they don't have it, if you talk to people there, 
like local farm networks are huge. Everyone knows everyone. And so if you go to the farmer's market, you're like, I wanted salad dressing, but I don't see any salad dressing. Talk to someone and I guarantee they're going to know exactly where to go to, to get something locally made. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. And there's no more local than your own kitchen. But yes, some of us, you know, don't necessarily have the lifestyle where we can start doing the big quantity canning and all that myself included and in which case you know you keep it simple I mean your message that I'm getting from you basically is keep it simple and be have fun yeah be playful and approach it with curiosity yeah yeah totally and so can you tell us a little bit more about your startup your website yeah so so we're called recipe and Basically, we want to simplify recipes and make them more enjoyable and make it easier to cook from home. And so we do an ad-free approach. Again, no ads, no pop-ups, no affiliate links where I'm trying to push you to buy something so that I can get a commission from that, but done in a way that supports creators because there is no food without culture and history and human beings. And I think we forget that a lot. We're on a food blog. We're like, I hate all these ads. I want no ads, throw it all in the trash. All I want is the ingredients and the direction. Like we just, we have an emotional response, but stepping back, there are human beings behind the recipes and they do this because they love it, but they also need to make an income from it. And that's why they're ads. That's why it's formatted in a way that isn't necessarily the easiest to use. And so we have a dual focus for our users, for home cooks, We want to make it simple and enjoyable to cook. But on the other side, we want to support the people and the human beings who create these recipes from from their families, from their cultures, from maybe they have formal chef training from their knowledge and education. Um, And so basically we're, we're trying to build something like Spotify or like Netflix. That's where if you want to watch a movie, you go to Netflix or you go to Hulu Plus um, and it's a premium experience, a membership experience. And you don't have to deal with any of the ads of traditional television. And so we want to do the same thing, but for recipes where we are doing like a premium platform that if you want a premium experience, if you want to reduce your frustrations and also support creators, we want to be the place that you go for every recipe that you're making. Fantastic. And they're all whole foods based, right? Not every, you know, it's, it's agnostic. So there, there are some people who are like, you know, air fryer pro throw the frozen chicken nugget in the air fryer, but we make sure there's something for everyone. And right now we have almost 6,000 recipes and counting. And it's, you know, we, we just signed up two two new creators in the last week. And so we're rapidly, rapidly growing our library. And so there's tons of vegan creators who are, you know, finding ways to make plant-based versions of traditional meat-based dishes. There are people from India, from Sri Lanka, from Nigerian Americans who have like all sorts of cultural dishes that just use, we want to be the source you go to for any, any recipe that you could even dream of and imagine. And there are 10 options on our site from, for you to choose from. Fantastic. Fantastic. So it's called recipe.com. Um, so we're actually in, in the midst of some chaos right now we're at recipe.com, but we're actually going to be moving to recipe.ly, which is R E C I P dot L Y. Um, 
And that's because it's easy. We, we found that nobody can pr pronounce our name when they read it. And so we're going to the phonetic spelling of R-E-C-I-P dot L-Y. So that's where you'll be able to find us when this episode airs. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'll put the link with the show notes anyway. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What a fantastic concept. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all again about like, you should enjoy this time. You should enjoy your time in the kitchen, which means that we have to simplify it. We have to take away those little frustrations. And that's really what our goal is. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful goal. Yes. I mean, life after sugar is all about enjoying your life and having fun, even if the prospect of no sugar so for most people is a little bit sad <laughs> and yeah. I'm here to show that it's quite the opposite and this the prospect for many people of cooking your own meals is also like uh overwhelming it. and it's frustrating and it it sounds like work and it right. doesn't have to be work you can simplify things and take away find recipes that have six ingredients but those are whole ingredients from plants or from animals that are one ingredient ingredients, you know, you get the package and it has one ingredient listed, not 20 ingredients. Listed. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yes. And, you know, you're part of this movement to move us back into whole foods, whole food cooking, cooking at home. Yeah. What a concept. Uh, you know, and they say, I think there's never been as many cooking shows on TV and as and so few people actually cooking. Yeah. And I think, you know, during COVID, we actually saw a shift, a significant shift to more home cooking. Obviously, I mean, me personally, that's why I started this company is because I had been commuting an hour and a half each direction to my job and COVID shut down my office. And suddenly I have three more hours in the day and I'm like, I can cook yeah. and I can cook, you know, take a long, I can take an hour to cook dinner because I have three extra hours in my day. And I don't want people to lose that if they have to go back to the office because a ton of people have to go back and there is more remote work now. It's more accepted and more widely available, but a lot of people are back in the office or back in service jobs. Um, and we shouldn't have to give up cooking at home too in order to go back to regular life. Yeah, totally, totally. Wonderful. Thank you so much. What an amazing concept you have here. And, you know, I'm going to be going on your site, definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks, Annie. What a great chat with Annie. I find it so inspiring to see that it's totally possible to make all kinds of yummy meals and dishes, and it doesn't require of us to have lots of cooking skills just knowing what real foods are and the basics of what to do with them means that we're no longer dependent on the processed foods industry to make our food for us. Check out Annie's link to her website in the show notes with this episode. And I also have some free resources for you about what real whole foods are and where the processed food companies hide those sneaky sugars so if you want those resources, head on over to my website aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab What to Eat. You'll find three videos there, one about which foods don't have added sugars, another about how to find these foods at the grocery store, and the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods. Because these are also whole foods, 
that look after your gut health. And gut health is central to your general health. And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, you can download your simple guide to getting more energy. Just click on the tab Simple Guide or download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources and tips on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. That's where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, sometimes some inspiring quotes or sometimes just pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's totally possible to live a fun and active life even if you don't eat sugar. And if you're ready to get some personal guidance, support and accountability so that you can let go of sugar and feel more confident in your food choices and feel healthier because you've finally made peace with sugar so that you get to a point where you don't need it or miss it anymore then the After Sugar Club is the place for you. Together with myself and a group of other like-minded health-conscious people, you'll get all the guidance you need in our supportive and friendly community so that you don't just change what you eat, you change how you think and how you see sugar so that you can enjoy the real sweetness in your life. Check it out at aftersugarclub.com. And if this podcast is inspiring you to take one more step towards your life after sugar, then could I ask you to please scroll down and leave the podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a short review to let me know how this podcast is inspiring you to break free from sugar your way and find the real sweetness in life. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.